This is Matt Woodley, editor of PreachingToday.com. I also help lead the preaching team at Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Thanks for joining us on Monday Morning Preacher, a podcast dedicated to preachers at all levels who want to grow in the craft and calling of preaching. Monday Morning Preacher is a production of Christianity Today, which actually produces two other great podcasts. First, we have a podcast called The Calling, an interview show about the nature of church leadership, its joys, its struggles, and how God has uniquely wired people to work within his church. Each episode, we feature one Christian leader, one calling, one honest conversation. And then search Christianity Today and check out our other podcast called Quick to Listen. I'm here with our guest host, Kevin Miller. And as your lowly guest host, I serve at the pleasure of the host. Well, that is true, but you are being far too modest. I just want you all to know out there, listeners, Kevin Miller is an exceptional preacher, known around the Wheaton area for his clarity and accessibility. Man, my fishing for a compliment pulled in a big one. <laughs> you are a very fine preacher. Even I am I, overwhelmed. Okay, quit shoveling. Okay. okay, so let me take you back to 1939, Kevin. June 25th, 1939, to be precise. I love it when you use personal illustrations. Uh, actually, <laughs> I wasn't born yet. Oh, oh. I was negative 20 years old okay. in 1939. This is a story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know him? Ah, uh, yes, very well. <laughs> okay, he was visiting America, and he attended some worship services in New York City. What did he think? Not impressed. Okay. <laughs> so here's what he wrote about the sermon he heard on Sunday, June 25th, 1939. Very forced application of the text. Too little gospel. No real exposition of the text. It is very poor. Okay. Then after the sermon on July 2nd, you'd think maybe he heard a good one then, but no. He says, no text. No echo of the Christian proclamation. Rather a disappointment. Kevin, do you see a theme developing here from Bonhoeffer? Wow. That's an indictment. Well, you know, obviously he wanted a preacher who would seriously engage the text. And I think we Americans have a cultural blind spot where we're so emphasizing practical Mm. contemporary application that sometimes we can kind of skim the text. Well, I think that's what he was saying. You know, a while ago we were interviewing Dr. Jeff Arthurs, a preaching prophet, Gordon-Conwell Seminary, about his biggest concern with what's going on in the preaching world today. And here's what he said. This is a direct quote from the interview. Pastors are preaching from the Bible— but they're actually reading their own conclusions into the Bible. Mm. They bring out of the text what they have already predetermined is in the text. Boom. Another indictment. Yeah, Um, mic drop. Yeah, so here's the spiritual discipline we want to focus on for this episode, is uh, preachers slow down and get the text right. I mean, we've talked a lot about preaching, that it's more than just regurgitating the text— you need to illustrate, you need to apply it to people's hearts, and we've done podcasts on that. But preaching also starts with a biblical text. Uh, Seems obvious, but it must start with a preacher who's willing to understand and submit to the text before we proclaim that text. So who's our uh, master preacher today to illustrate uh, doing it well? We got a guy who does this exceptionally well. Mark Dever. He preaches in the shadow of our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. And in this sermon, he was preaching on Psalm 119. So let's listen in to how Dever sets this up. So here the psalmist is describing the way to blessing. Now those first three verses, and if you're not used to being here for church, we leave our Bibles open and we keep looking at it during the sermon, or else we get very bored and just have a morning nap. All right, so 
Look at verses 1 to 3, those first three verses. You'll see those are two lines of poetry each, and those lines are what's called parallel or parallelism. It doesn't mean simply physically that they're written along the same line. It, it means that they have parallel meanings, that what's said in line one is repeated in line two. It's not you have a whole fresh boatload of information coming in in line two. Line two is restating what line one says. So you don't look at the different words to figure out, oh, it's all this special distinct meaning. No, it's just a fuller way for you to appreciate this. The day was beautiful. It was a gorgeous day. I've just spoken in parallel lines there. I've said the same thing using two different words. That's what's going on here. It gives us a a fuller appreciation for what he's saying about the law. And that's what he does here in verses 1 to 3. The second line is just restating what the first line says. So the same point that those six lines are making in verses 1 to 3 is really repeated in the last line of verse 4. You have been kept diligently. His way has been kept diligently. When you think about what sticks out in these first four verses is the first half of verse 4. Which one of these things is not like the other? The first half of verse 4. It's in the second person addressed directly to God. You have commanded your precepts. So here the psalmist ends that merely descriptive third person reference to God and his laws or testimonies or ways. And instead he addresses God directly. He says, you have commanded your precepts. And then he returns to the theme of the first three verses to be kept diligently. And you begin to perceive then that the fount of all other blessings is there in God's revelation of himself and his will. So, Kevin, what did you notice as Mark kind of methodically walked us through a portion of this Psalm 119? I like how he drew out what the text is highlighting, that sudden break that addresses God in second person. All of a sudden, I didn't just skip over that. I had to see that the psalmist is asking us to radically address God and obey his word. Yeah. You know, Kevin, I once wrote a semi-commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. A semi-commentary so that people could preach semi-sermons? What what are you talking about? Can you semi-explain? If you stop being semi-rude, I will. (laughs) It was like a cross between a commentary and a devotional guide through the Gospel of Matthew. But we had two really top-notch Bible scholars working on this. And as I was writing the manuscript, they would keep sending back margins in the text of my manuscript. Did you get that from the text? Question mark, question mark, question mark in big red letters. Has anyone else come up with that exegesis before? Et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) They really pushed me to stay true to the text. And, you know, I learned Mm. something about myself from these Bible scholars that sometimes as a preacher, and I think uh, other preachers struggled with this as well, sometimes we're so passionate about being relevant or relational or practical, that sometimes we cut corners with our exegesis. Yeah. So how do we avoid the danger you just mentioned? Well, this is one of the things I do, is I spend a lot of time just with the text, not with the commentary. So I encourage preachers, first of all, just spend a lot of time with the text. So I'm working on a series from the book of Philippians. So I printed out the book of Philippians, no notes, no verse numbers, no chapter numbers, and just with some wide margins. And I'm spending a lot of time just with the Mm. text. You can learn so much by just observing, looking, what's going on, what are the key words, read it over and over again, not just with your mind, but with your heart, with your affections, read it prayerfully, 
carefully, uh, read it faithfully, and uh, that can have a huge impact on just getting you into the text. I love what you just described. I I, I find my temptation is just I feel the pressure of time, Mm -hmm. and I know, you know, the weekend's coming. I've got to have a message, and so I want to rush past the exegesis and get on with the rest of the, the sermon development. And so what I've done is I've created a list of maybe 12 to 15 questions that I force myself to answer about the text before I do anything else. So those questions include stuff like, what is this text about? What is it saying about? what it's about. Why did the original audience need to hear this? Who in this text is most like my listeners? And those kinds of questions force me to engage the text at that kind of deeper level like you were talking about. Yeah, force you to slow down and get the text right. Yeah. That's really good. You know, getting back to our sermon clip, Dever does something really interesting that really helped me. He asks a lot of questions as he's preaching through the text. I counted in one of his sermons that we have on PreachingToday.com, he used 52 questions in his sermon. Now, he preaches for like an hour, so most of us don't do that. So he had a lot of questions. But I like what he does because it slows the preacher down and it slows the listener down. It gives the preacher a chance to say, now, what do you see here? And what do you see next? And what do you think Paul says here? Or what do you think the psalmist says next? So you're just sort of walking through the text very slowly with the preacher. And it's and, almost like a master class. You're watching yeah. him exegete in front of you in a way. Exactly. And you're learning as you go. You're learning how to do exegesis, yes, exactly, as he's walking through the text. I think we do, though, have the challenge that we live in an America, uh, which is interested in practical relevance, four-second soundbite kind of attention spans. And so as we move into this deep textual engagement, I wonder if it would help us to use the Joel Gregory approach, Mm -hmm. uh, then, now, then, now, then, now. So you do some deep text work, the then, then you apply it to now, then you go back and do more deep text work, and then you also apply that to now, and you keep going back and forth between the two. That gives you a lot of time in both then and now, and listeners don't have to wait for all the now till the end of the sermon. Kind of like uh, John Stott's Between Two Worlds kind of concept. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's really good. You know, we haven't mentioned this explicitly, although we both believe this ardently, I know, and that is that the text is God's word to us, and God wants to speak to us. And so that adds some gravitas to this conversation with the living God, that if he wants to speak to us first, then our people through the biblical text, it's like, wow, I want to listen. I got to get this straight. So that is really the ultimate goal here when we talk about getting the text right. We're really talking about listening to God who has revealed himself through his word. It strikes me that the text can sometimes become in our study like like it's a specimen to be dissected. Yes. And what you're saying is so important. It's actually a word to be heard and obeyed. It's a a relational uh, encounter with the God of the universe. Yeah, and his word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's a live thing. It's not a dead text. So when you talk about getting the text right, engaging the text seriously, you're not really talking strictly about scholarship. You're also really talking about a heart of engagement and obedience with a living God. That's a great way to put it. It's both of those. You know, one of the questions I've added to my sermon prep process, it comes from Daryl Johnson, and he says, have I stayed in the text until I've met the Lord of the text? Ooh. And 
I find, you know, especially for people like uh, you or I who've been preaching for some years, we kind of come to a text and we can think, well, I already know that text. I may have even preached that text. And so you have this kind of filter or framework, and until you meet the Lord of the text, you don't get rid of that framework enough to hear the fresh word that God is speaking to his people through that text. That's excellent, and that's a great charge for all preachers to get the text right, meet the Lord of the text as you prepare your sermons, and then engage your people with the Lord of the text. This is Matt Woodley on Monday Morning Preacher. Thanks for joining us on this episode and hope you can tune in to our next episode. This episode of Monday Morning Preacher is brought to you by PreachingToday.com. PreachingToday.com comes alongside you as you prepare your sermons. We offer 13,000 high-quality illustrations to help you drive your point home. Go to PreachingToday.com and sign up for a 30-day free trial.